0: Well, hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back. I feel like I'm getting more and more country every time I start this. (laughs) You're looking more and more country. What's up, y'all? You come walking
1: in, out of your pickup truck, (laughs) with your dog, Snots, and uh, (laughs) um, your hair flowing, and your beard. You look like something out of Duck Dynasty. That's
0: such a great movie, but Snots is the worst like it's disgusting, right. To watch him, you know.
1: I heard something interesting yesterday. Are you talking about the Chevy Chase? Yeah, yeah. The, me. yeah. Everybody, uh, I, it was really interesting. I saw this. I don't know why it was like a one of these documentary biography kind of things. Yeah. And everybody in the world said he is the absolute worst human being they've ever that's, met.
0: I, that's what I've heard too. Yeah,
1: that that he was terrible to work with, and and. uh um, like Comedy Central roasts that they do yeah. for people, yeah. they said his was so bitter and angry from the people that they won't air it anymore. Oh, my god. It gosh. was just that bad. So I had, uh, yeah, it's, I was going to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Don't do it. But I had to go to YouTube to watch just a few minutes of it, and it was. It was so it was awful bad. that I turned it off. Yeah, it was. Wow. So isn't it interesting? He made such funny movies but they said he was just awful to work with. You know, that's
0: yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people like that, though. You know, mm-hmm. they they have this sort of TV personality, and they're yeah. completely different. You know,
1: how would you feel if you knew that most of the people who knew you just thought you were the worst?
0: Right. I couldn't live with myself. I don't know that I could either. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you're right. I just like you know. You said that they called him. They said it was
1: bitter and right. and oh, ugly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, just like to... a lot of the closest people that he worked with didn't even come. They wouldn't. They wouldn't accept the invitation to even be there. Did he start out on SNL? Yeah, mm-hmm. he started as a writer, and then and they noticed that he had a really funny bent, and so they put him on stage, and and uh, he mainly did the the news thing, yeah, you know, the news brief or whatever. But they said the way he treated other cast members, he's the only SNL cast member who's been—he's hosted it a few times, but he's been banned from coming back. Oh my the last gosh. time he was there, they said it was so awful that he's—he's never been invited back, and he'll never be invited back.
0: Yeah, I see. I just can't. I don't. I couldn't live. Yeah. Knowing that people felt that way.
1: Yeah. Well, then we need to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: Um, so we're going to do something a little different today, but before we get into that, uh, I, you and I talked about only bringing this situation up last night if it was successful, but I, f- I feel like we need to be... This This podcast is about being open and honest. <laughs> and... Uh, oh, you, you got to
1: bring this up.
0: <laughs> and you and I... I'm. But here's the thing. I'm only bringing this up because I'm still proud of what, what we... <laughs> Accomplished, okay. Even though it was a failure.
1: <laughs> okay, and I have new information, by the way. But go oh, ahead. Good.
0: So I have this tractor, this this big tractor. It's the biggest. It's a riding lawn mower, but it's about, it's the size of a small tractor. You know, it's <laughs> for this new house. And uh, I was riding it the other day, and it it shut off, and and we I couldn't get it to. It, it would start up but I couldn't get it to go forward or backward. It mm-hmm. has this like the hydraulic um transmission system in it, whatever. Stuff I know nothing about. I know very little about cars, even more know even more or less about anything else that has a motor, like a tractor. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just don't know where to start. <laughs> so we uh I called you obviously and we came over and uh you came over and we tore
1: that tractor up. We did. We we got all the way toward transmission out of it Yeah. And uh actually got our hands dirty.
0: Yeah, we did. Got the both both rear wheels off. We jacked that thing up and I was really proud of that. And then we we found a problem. <laughs> this <is> so sad. <laughs> I know. We found but we did find a problem. The one of the belts mm-hmm. in the back had come off and it was like jammed wedged under the like in this piece on top mm-hmm. of the transmission and, and I was like this has to be it because it's not I mean a belt coming off the transmission yeah. that would make sense that that would be the reason I couldn't go, go forward or backwards so it took us a while and we figured, we got that belt back on and uh <laughs> I was so proud I took a picture what would, <laughs> what would
1: take two normal men to do in about
0: 10 <laughs> minutes it took us an hour and a half to do it was probably longer than that but I took a picture. I was so proud of the work that we had done, yeah. and uh, fired that thing up. Was rid- went <laughs> went to hit the gas, went nowhere. Nothing. Still went nowhere. So we can we can talk
1: offline about what you figured out. But yeah, well, yeah, we uh, we need it. We're gonna have to go back at it again. It doesn't have us yet. <laughs> See, I've I've got an old old Porsche in my driveway that I'm restoring yeah I say I'm restoring it it's been sitting there for two years and I haven't touched <laughs> it but I'm mentally restoring it I'm taking parts off having putting parts on two 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 little guys from the neighborhood these kids are like 14 years old came up the other day and said um Mr. Robinette could we like start working on your Porsche and I said what do you mean do you guys know anything about cars and they said no we just want to take parts off of it and I said yeah go ahead have <laughs> at it um so if I can't change a belt on a tractor, how am I ever gonna yeah, um, get a Porsche running. Well,
0: anyways, even though we haven't figured it out yet, I was proud of the work we did last night. There will be an update
1: next week yeah. on whether or not the tractor's running. <laughs> how successful we've been. And we didn't say any bad words either. No, we even didn't. when It was a fairly calm, we were dejected clearly yeah. when we thought we had it. Yeah.
0: And it wouldn't move. Yeah, so well, we'll it's okay. There will be a part 2 to this. There will be. All right. Well, hey, I want to uh, dive into a, a conversation today, M- more uh an interview, I should say, um on on you because uh you know, I was thinking about this, you know, this podcast is all about and as I just mentioned, sort of open and honest conversations about who we are, what we think, what we believe you know, stuff going on in culture, faith, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things. And, um, and most of the people, I obviously, I can't, I can't see who is watching or are listening, excuse me, rather, um, individually other than the people that just reach out to us. Um, but you know, there, there definitely could be people listening to this podcast that don't really know who you and I are. And I thought it would be important. You know, we share a lot of opinions. Um, and, uh, what I've come to learn in life is that it's really who we are and the experiences that make up who we are, um, where, and, and, and sort of the foundation of what we believe, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of make up the opinions that we have. And so I just kind of wanted to spend a few minutes and that di- I mean, obviously I know a lot as your son, uh, but for those that are listening that might not know you very well, just dive into a little bit of your
1: life story. Well, sure. Um, um, you know, one of my strongest beliefs is that what the world needs is a little bit more of me. That's right. So, I think so too. I think that would heal a lot.
0: <laughs> you said before we started this, you said you had a friend that would. What would he? What oh, yeah, would he say? Right.
1: He would say. He would say. You know, we've talked a lot about you. Can we talk about me for a while?
0: <laughs> well, you know what? This is your episode. All right. So oh, we can.
1: I'm I'm feeling a little
0: awkward. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of thought through how I wanted to do this because again, as your son, I know a lot about you, but trying to, to almost run this interview as if I don't know you very well. So okay. we'll kind of play it that way. Um, and and then I'll interject as sort of a, an outside perspective, outside okay. perspective over the last 29 years of your life.
1: Okay. What's uh, your name again? <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm trying to get in character here,
0: so. Um, so you were not originally from Cincinnati. No, Ashland, you Kentucky. born in Ashland, Kentucky.
1: Yep, yep. My dad was transferred to Cincinnati when I was five years old. In 1969, we moved here. And, uh, I have one brother, older brother, who's yeah. uh, mentally handicapped. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, they loaded up the truck, moved us to Ohio. Um,
0: how old were it, you when you moved from?
1: I was five. Actually, probably. yeah, I was five, and my mom and dad often say that that was one of the best things that ever happened to us. As much as it's always hard to move away from family, yeah, but um, they it, it really solidified the four of us, mom and dad, my brother, and me, just kind of being on our own. And yeah. then I did have an, an uncle who followed us a few years later, um, Uncle Raj. Yeah, and uh, um, so and our families are real close. But, yeah, I know I'm originally from Ashland, Kentucky. Your
0: mom, uh, my my grandma, this is going to be weird doing it as yeah. an interview, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so I'm just going to call her Nina. That's right. what I call her. Right. Your mom. My
1: grandma, Nina. She has 12 brothers and sisters? 11. Eleven. She, there are 12 she, there's 12 kids in the family. Kids. Yeah, and there's 21 grandchildren. Man. And mom's number seven. And so she's kind of right in the middle. And I'm dead in the middle of the grandkids or Ten higher and ten ten younger. So I, you know, have a perspective
0: of like what those family gatherings were like in Ashland mm-hmm. you know, when I was young and growing up. But what was that like? You know, because you know, just reality of how long it's been. Um, yeah. Many of her siblings have passed, and so, mm-hmm. you know, my experience in those family gatherings have been a lot
1: different. What was that like for it you was growing a, up? It was a it was a party you know yeah. every every holiday was like a festival um and what's interesting with that is that we we would all when my grand- my grandparents were still alive my grandma had had a, a series of strokes, and so for most of my life she was in my young life she was uh um bedridden and and but but so her bedroom just kind of became the center of <laughs> of the gatherings you know wow. and and there's only one bathroom was an older home. Um, that my grandpa had built. There was one bathroom and it was in her bedroom. And so you had to come in, you had to walk past grandma to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and everybody's in there. And so, and it just became so natural to go, Hey, grandma. And we, wow. we called her, Mamma, Hey, Mamaw, how you doing? And uh, uh, so, yeah, I've got, and I still have some cousins that I'm, I'm really close to. Yeah. Having a special needs brother, you know, we we couldn't have that level of, Brotherly relationship that you'd love to have, but I have that with some cousins that that uh, have really kind of taken that place. That, that especially Russ and yeah. uh, and his wife and their girls. Yeah, can you believe they just turned eighteen? Years eighteen old? years old. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember when they were born, and we took you and your brother down to a hospital down in Lexington, Kentucky. They were twins and uh, born a little early, and and <laughs> you were there in the room the first time. Rusty had to change a, a poop diaper, and just to see the shock on your faces, like, oh gosh, what is all this? I wonder so, yeah. if
0: subconsciously that's why Kate and I still don't have kids. I think it is. Yeah, so you've been there you scarred. go. You can blame Rusty. Right? No, we figured it out.
1: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, it, it's a uh, w- those those gatherings were. Sadly, when once my grandpa died. Um, everybody's families themselves started getting so large that that all kind of went away and one of the things that my wife tells me i tend to romanticize the past and uh and which is true i always look back at things in the past and forget the bad Hmm. and always look at the good um but i've said a few times boy i wish i could just send out one blanket invitation to all of my family and invite them to my home and and have a just a big blowout And, and lisa said you know you're just setting yourself up for failure you know there's there's a disappointment yeah a yeah. huge disappointment that cuz they're not just and we get together for funerals now yeah. and that's about the only time we see each other yeah but no yeah. so what about papaw's side my dad's side he was the oldest of uh, three kids and both of his siblings are gone yeah they both died fairly young uh in their 60s and so i've i've just got Uh, two other cousins from that side of the family. Well, three, three, three cousins from that side of the family. And, um, again, it was very tight. Uh, we would spend just about every holiday and a lot of weekends when I was young, we would go back to Kentucky and we'd spend part of the weekend with mom's family and part of the weekend with dad's family. My grandpa ran a 400 acre dairy farm. And so for my cousins on that side, it was just my, you know, my Randy and Deb and, um, little my youngest cousin didn't come along for many years later but um we ran the farm you know wow. the farm was where we played um we built you know forts in the hay mounds and and then summertime as we got older we worked in the fields you know hay season and that kind of stuff but um yeah so farm life until i was and, and i've said it before i idolized my grandpa yeah. he was just a very kind very he was very as strong as an ox he was only five feet tall And you look like a cinder block with eyes, you know, just had that build, but uh, wasn't afraid of anything. We were talking last week. He's the one who used to throw snakes at us. Yeah. Um, But uh, um, yeah, the farm was just a great place to grow up. And I always thought I'd be a farmer. Um, Did you really? I did until I was in in junior high school. Um, I had written, you know, you have to write papers about what you're going to be when you grow up. And I always said I was going to be a farmer. And uh, um, then I got into high school. I still worked on a farm. Uh, there was a farm across the road from us, and and I worked there all through high school, uh, with with a lady named Bertie Romar. Um, but you know, is that where you met the had to deal with all the chickens? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Um, <laughs> worst thing. I think that's what people are going to do in hell. They're just going to be raised chickens. Raised chickens. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then. Uh, but that's when you know I kind of realized this—it's it's too hard a life to mm. try to make a living. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I really. But what's interesting is when I went into the ministry, uh, my first ministry job at Merrimont Community Church, all of our elders were business guys. Yeah. And they, you know, they had a business mindset in the way they assessed the growth and the health of the church, and I really struggled with that. I really had a hard time you know, I, I did it, you know, the objectives and measures and goals and all this kind of, and I still kind of work that way. Yeah. But I had, had a hard time forming to that. But then I, when I started thinking of ministry work more in agricultural terms, planting and watering and, and, uh, uh, reaping a harvest and yeah. and God giving the increase, you know, like he's the one who brings the rain and the, the wind and the, you know, the stuff you need for right. for a good crop. And he does the same in a church, you know, you can work as hard as you want, but still God's the one who blesses it or or yeah. or shortens it. And um and so when I started thinking about things in those terms, you know, as I was working with high schoolers and junior hires. When they came in as junior hires, I saw that as, you know, that's when the that's when the beginning of the cultivation started, wow. and I know that you know their life went on. Many years past. Well, obviously, all of their lives are going on much year, much beyond the six years I had with them. But I kind of measured those six years as as tilling soil and, and bringing more and more harvest in each of the kids. Yeah. And um, I've kind of done that here too. I've, I've you know I feel like we're we're continually cultivating uh, more ground for more harvest and yeah. and sometimes it's in new faith in people's lives or sometimes it's in deepening faith. Um and sometimes it's just getting people through storms. Yeah. But that helps me.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. So so me now uh moving to the country and having a small yeah. <laughs> it's not really a farm. But hopefully
1: one day we wanna do some stuff with it. Yeah, you think about I mean you've got that big area for garden. You've got a handful of raised gardens there you've got vineyards and fruit trees and and so you've got a farm brother
0: yeah (laughs) i just gotta figure out what to do with it
1: (laughs) but it runs in the blood
0: it runs in the blood you know it's interesting that you say that though because i've i've always thought of myself more as like a city suburban Mm -hmm. you know person um but I, for there's something within my soul that may, where I feel at home out out where we are now. Yeah, uh, yeah, which I never had before. So yeah. that's cool. Um, you, out and I might be taking a long shot here. So this this needs to be a. Uh, you might need to correct me on this, but the wasn't it your your grandfather's farm, um or or maybe a hill across from your grandfather's farm that the the Marshall plane crashed
1: on? It did. It did. The Marshall plane crash happened um, that's a, with a football, football team, team that yeah. died in the 70s when their plane crashed into a hillside, Huntington, West Virginia. And my grandpa's farm was the last corner of eastern Kentucky before you went into West Virginia. And so... Um, the planes would fly over the top of, I mean, literally we'd be sitting in the house in the farmhouse at night and you would see the planes coming in. And it was almost like living at the end of the landing strip because they would come over the farm, have to go over the next hilltop and then land. I mean, dive down and land in Huntington, uh, the Huntington airport. And yeah, that, that night, that, that one came in really low. And my grandpa even commented, man, that one was low. And, uh, um, then um, there was the crash and and uh, you know the wreckage that was spread all over and so it wasn't on his farm but it was on the next but hilltop over past it was right into West Virginia yeah wow yeah I've always yeah
0: it's always just been an interesting yeah what kind of what a, what a thing connection. to right what a thing I mean, to have as a, a family story. memory right it's a terrible story but yeah just one of those things you don't forget
1: you know what's interesting too is is uh, I know you're leading this interview but um, <laughs> you're not doing a very good job um but <laughs> i went i was home for a family funeral a couple of years ago and so i thought you know i'm gonna drive up the farm and just kind of hang out and see what's going on there so you lives there now and that kind of stuff i drove up there and ashland oil you know valvoline all those kind of yeah. things they they had continued to buy up part of that land and they had a big refinery right there in right on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia, yeah. the big Sandy River. And um, I pulled up there and there's all these gates and stuff. And and I went on through the gate. I thought, what is all this? Got up on top of the hill where the farm was. It was totally demolished. And they were building a, a giant, uh, like a pumping station up there. Wow. Arm uh, Ashland Oil had bought it all out and um, turned it, and it was such a, I don't know, such a surreal experience to have something that was so formidable in your life just be gone, you know, totally yeah. gone. So, man, yeah, it it's interesting feeling.
0: You've mentioned your brother. Um, yeah. And, you know, being mentally handicapped. And what, what exactly was his diagnosis? I don't Greg, know that I've Yeah, ever... Greg
1: was born... Um, it was... You know, he was born in 1960 yeah and you know obviously back then they didn't have the fetal monitors or the you know the the, um kind of um protections and and that they have that they that that they understand when child children are being born now but he was born breech and when he was born his umbilical cord was wrapped a number of times around his neck and so they feel like he was without oxygen for Mm -hmm. a number of minutes and uh, and the birth i guess from what i understand almost killed my mom it was just everything about it was was traumatic um but he looked and looked normal and and they they and and back then they didn't really know that he was uh had been affected until everything started coming really slow to him he talked late he walked late yeah. um, you know it was hard to get him just and this obviously this is he's older than I am. So I didn't know any of this stuff. My parents have, have shared all this with me since, but, but then they started doing some testing and, uh, he had to go to Columbus and they did some testing there. And this was in the early sixties. And that's when they decided he was, he was, uh, had a, had a brain deficiency. And so he he just kind of grew up with, he was always in special classes and, yeah. and, um, uh, that that was kind of his existence and and so yes. and it's it's weird to be the younger brother hmm. of somebody who needs so much help. Yeah. Um uh, because you just you grow up with that expectation. Um so what was that
0: relationship like then for you or what was that experience like then for well, you growing up with? You
1: family? know, it's interesting. There there's a dynamic in families families with different, you know, special needs. Um and uh, they call it the hero kid. And the hero kid is the one who doesn't want to make any waves because somebody else in the family is making lots of waves. And yeah. and Greg, you know, he couldn't control any of that. It's just it's the way it was. He right. you know, he needed extra help. He got bullied a lot, those kind of things. And I was really small. I was and so um you know, I I didn't I as as we were growing up, I had a lot of extra responsibility. You know, once we got to school, making sure Greg got off the bus and got to the right class, and yeah. and those kind of things. And and uh, you know, both mom and dad worked, and so in the mornings, you know, I I made sure after we got ready, um, I made sure we both got on the bus, and and um, and so you know, yeah, you just kind of grow up a little faster. And as a hero kid, a hero kid is the one who says, I don't want to cause my family any more trouble. Yeah. And, and so I just, I grew up with that dynamic and, and unfortunately, as I've grown older, that dynamic has been one that has really kind of stilted my life in a, because I, a lot of times I won't make waves. I won't fight for what I think is, you know, something, if there's an injustice, um, I don't like to, I'm not going to fight over it. I'm going to, more often than not, I'm going to say it's not that big a deal. Um, uh, you just you just tend to minimize hmm. things because you don't want to you don't want to cause anybody any problems, yeah. and um, so that's just kind of the way I grew up, and I think that's a lot of who I am now. I, I really struggled with being a people pleaser, um, and um, my wife really really challenged me that uh, in my younger days in the ministry because I would I would try to be in three places at the same time because yeah. I wouldn't tell anybody no. And and so, uh, but I've had to learn to change that. I mean, you, you go crazy and drive everybody yeah, around you can't to crazy, live that way. right? And um, but I was just kind of wired that way. Um, so you know, it uh, and, and there can be some uh, with the hero kid syndrome. There can also be some anger that bubbles below the surface, mm. and uh, feeling like you know you kind of got cheated a little bit, and mm. and so you know I've I've had to deal with some of that stuff.
0: You know, you've you've mentioned this to me before, but you have always been, um, almost over. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean this in a in a, in a well, it was a great thing for me and Taylor, but almost over the top present for everything Taylor and I've done. Yeah, way more than than most fathers or parents. You know, it was almost creepy. well. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least I don't know how Taylor feels about it. We can ask him, but I appreciated it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I've often wondered if, if some of that's because you felt like, you know, because your parents had to spend so much time focusing on Greg, Mm -hmm. maybe they weren't as present in your life and your situations as they Mm -hmm. could have been, or you would have wished them to be. And so you wanted that to be different for us. right? And, uh, I mean, I've, I've appreciated it for sure. It's, definitely not not something that i <laughs> yeah you know felt creepy about but
1: it, it's true it's true and that that was very much a uh um was that something you were conscious about or is that yeah, something very conscious. Was it? Okay. yeah yeah um i think uh um in my line of work your line of work now taylor's line of work now you know we're all pastors um there's a they they used to say the church is a jealous mistress. Yeah. Meaning the church can take you away quickly and you can often miss a lot of things because of the church. And I kind of decided pretty young I didn't want to be that guy. Right. And even though I am a people pleaser, um there were times when I would say no to other things because I felt like I needed to be more present with yeah. you and your brother. Um you know when he <laughs> when he started playing at King's Island, playing yeah. music, I got a season pass because if I didn't have something to do that night, I went to King's Island and watched him play. Yeah, They played the same three sets every, every night, night, six nights a week. I was probably there four of the six nights. Yeah, And it was just, I loved it. Absolutely loved it.
0: You also had some other friends there too. But yeah, yeah. Were... I mean,
1: the whole the, a lot of the band were, were good friends. But, right. I mean, I... After Taylor dropped out, I didn't do that. I was anymore. just trying to make it less creepy. Well, it's creepy. Yeah, I got on. Kings Island has a list of guys that they kind of keep an eye on who are there every day with long cameras with big lenses and stuff like that. And and uh, um, you made that I think list. I made that list. I think I did. I think I did the uh, the watch list. And one one year they hired me to sing in one of their little Christmas yeah. quartets, and yeah. my feet blew up. But I, I think they hired that. me just so they could keep an eye on me. Oh um, my gosh! But yeah, no, I, um, you know, I was always a Home Depot guy, uh, you know, shopped there. But you started working at Lowe's, and so I'd come up and shop at Lowe's, just kind of hang out and see what you were <laughs> yep, doing. And, I remember that. Um, yeah, so I was at every, you know, if if you were playing a, a soccer game or a lacrosse game, you know, I made sure yep. that I coached your ball teams and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I tried to be extra present. Yep. Yeah.
0: No. yeah well it was a big deal and I, I i as i mentioned i always wondered if that was yeah just because of the way you, sort of the lack of that in your life currently.
1: yeah yeah very much so yeah yeah um
0: so you chose ministry you grew up wanting to be a farmer mm-hmm. but you chose the ministry mm-hmm. um you know what shifted in your life uh I mean, you mentioned going through high school and stuff and just right. realized that right. for whatever reason, the reality was that probably wouldn't have been a great job choice for <laughs> you, being a farmer. But right. you know, at what point did sort of God show up in your life and then the calling to be become a pastor and pursue well, ministry? Well, and...
1: I... You know, a lot of guys talk about this calling that sounds like, you know, the Apostle Paul's light from heaven right? kind of thing. It was very different for me. I... And and I don't I don't like to pigeonhole people in, in how God gets them to where they are, but um I went to college. First I started the University of Cincinnati in the business school. Yeah. And I did that just because that was, you know, my dad said that's the safe thing. You get a business degree, you go into business, Cincinnati's a management town, you buy a house with a picket fence, pay your mortgage, you know, yeah. and you go to your kids' soccer games. That's <laughs> yeah. and that's that's kind of the life that I had pictured. I got into the business school at UC and uh, hated it, just hated it. I, I could tell, you know, this is not going to be for me. Um, so, and then, but the Lord did a pretty major thing in my life when I was a freshman in in college. I really went through kind of a quiet rebellion. I'd grown up in the church. All my friends were church friends. Um, I was also in the National Guard at the time making a different group of friends and, going to uc and and working a lot and i was playing music in a country band playing drums and singing for a <laughs> band called tucson we're in amelia ohio but we're called tucson and so uh um i uh um i i just started running with the wrong crowd and i got involved you know i never i wasn't into drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff or, but i just i really went through a rebellion And um, the Lord squashed me. I mean, he literally kicked me in the rear end and said, you know, look at your life and where you're going, what you're doing. And so to keep my—I had a National Guard scholarship. To keep that scholarship, I had to stay in the state of Ohio, but I felt like I needed to go to a Christian school. Mm -hmm. Um, The best thing in my life at that time was playing music. And so I went to Cedarville University, where Taylor went. Um, And uh, I went there because it was close— and because it was in Ohio, and the guard would still pay for it. Um, and I got there, and, and, you know, I I went as a broadcasting major because I wanted to learn the you know, kind of the electronics of music and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I wasn't much of a musician, never really have been. But, um, you know, I wanted to learn to spin records and those kind of things, produce stuff. And, uh, you know, in a way, we are fulfilling that dream with, this, with podcast. this podcast yeah thank you i'm feeling it i'm feeling that fulfillment of that dream but uh but then i got to cedarville and still the broadcasting thing just didn't seem like it wasn't but i my uh there's a man here in our church now Tess effinger who uh he had led me to the lord when i was a kid and kind of discipled me a little bit well he was leading a little church out in Feesburg, ohio and he invited me to come out there and speak once a month um and it was just again, it's one of those things where Tess saw a little something and he wanted me to
0: yeah.
1: help him out. And so I did. I started going there once a month and preaching and and uh really found that, man, this is I feel like this is the right thing. At that point I was in the psychology department at Cedarville. I kept getting closer, but I wouldn't take the step. And and even after I even after I made the decision to to become a pastor my senior year of college and my senior year of sem- seminary, I freaked out hmm. and thought, man, I can't do this life uh, this is not uh, it's just too much it's too much responsibility it's too much I don't want people's spiritual lives in my hands it's just too much yeah. and I' did, I freaked out, um, but both times the Lord kind of drew me back into this, and it's been the greatest life I could ever dream yeah it's uh your' pastoring the church you grew up in I am. I am very rare to do that. Um
0: and I in a functional too. situation. <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. And I'm now here too. Yeah, yeah. This is also the church that I grew up in. Right, exactly. Yeah, it is.
1: It's it's wild. It's everyone. And and I don't know what it is. Um, but everything that people say, every reason people say don't go back to your home church. Uh you won't be respected, you won't they won't follow you. Uh there's gonna be lots of internal you know struggle you're talking about as a leader as a leader yeah, yeah don't pastor, go back to your yeah. home church as a leader um i have experienced very little of that yeah. almost none yeah. and it seems to me that you've been in the same boat that yeah, very much so that uh you know i think and i think it says a lot for our church too just a very good natured group of people
0: yeah um you know, Taylor and I both are are pastors. We we talked about this a little bit with Jamie Moore when we had him on. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Taylor and I have followed in your footsteps, and uh, as as pastors, um, you know, Taylor's a worship pastor at a church in Cedarville. He mm-hmm. Went to the same school you did, as you just mentioned, and uh, I also I yeah I also didn't want to be in the ministry. Yeah, but yet God brought me back into that and. And uh, how does it make you—I guess my question is, how does it make you feel that both Taylor and I sort of followed and, and what you, you did?
1: You know, I've had people ask me that. And,
0: and let me preface it with this, too, because it is—I mean, there are a lot of preacher's kids, pastor's kids that are mm-hmm. pretty screwed up. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you guys are a good kind of a good example of that. <laughs> but, but— how <laughs> I mean, I have my opinions on this, but I want to hear from you the the way that you and Mom raised Taylor and I. You know, we we both turned out, you know, pretty okay, I think so. And to the point where we followed in in mm-hmm. the, the same line of work. Uh, so yeah, just what are your I guess what do you think about that? What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh,
1: you know, I'm I'm incredibly proud of both you guys. Um, I, I think as any parent would be, if uh, you know whether if i was a lawyer and you guys became lawyers or if i was a tractor transmission repair man <laughs> and that's what you guys became you know i think there's that cool part of it you yeah, would have not been successful as a tractor thank you transmission i appreciate repairman. that affirmation yeah. um i think you know i would have been um obviously you're, you know when you see your kids doing good stuff and but to, it, it well, quite frankly it is a great feeling um hmm. It, uh, it's not something I stop and think about a lot though, because, um, it's, it's not something to get arrogant over. Yeah. It's not something to, I think there's a, I'm humbled enough by my own depravity, my own sin. And, and I've seen it both. You two, you both have your areas (laughs) and, uh, I think, and I think we're honest enough as a family. Yeah. Your mom is just so good at keeping us all in reality. Yeah, very much but, so. But um I think the 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 um anytime there's that nudge toward any sense of you know self uh, um, pride or arrogance or anything like that, I just you know I I'm reminded once again of all of my failings and and i just simply have to say thank thank you god that that uh my boys are doing good things and and they're in, in areas that seem fulfilling to them yeah. you both seem fulfilled by your work um which to me is really cool um i think sometimes we have to be careful not to you know like taylor got got an email the other day from somebody who was ticked off at him for something in the worship <laughs> service. And so I think we've got to be careful not to wallow in that stuff a little right. too much. Cause as he shared it with us, we were both laughing at him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no. we, yeah. Let me send you, let me share the email oh, I got right. last week. For, yeah. Right. Yeah. For whatever. So, um, I, and it is cool feeling it's fulfilling, but it's also uh, one of those things that, that, um, um, I just really enjoy the fact that we understand each other's lives at that level. Yeah, You know, and I think it probably would be. I've got a, a friend whose dad owns a printing company. And um, and so when he got out of college, he just went and, and started working for his dad's printing company. And he's had a great life with his dad, you know. Yeah. And I love the fact that you and I spend a lot of time together Yeah, um, just by the nature of our work. Um, I'd love to see, you know, Taylor i'd love to be able to have that same level of of involvement with him and it's just you know that's not practical right now who knows what the future holds but um the fact that we all like to write music and and uh the fact that we all there's there's just a lot of similar interest there and um but it's it's just a it's very very it's incredibly humbling it's also very fulfilling Yeah. yeah that's cool we are, by the way, we've
0: talked to them. We're going to have Taylor on here soon.
1: Yeah. Do a yeah. Little,
0: little father-son, well, two We're sons. calling it the reckless love
1: discussion.
0: <laughs> That's what. So we told Taylor, we asked him what he wanted to talk about, and I told him that my idea, well, I'll preface it by saying this. Taylor and I have different opinions, th- spiritually, theologically, however you want to determine it, decipher it on the the worship song Reckless Love and whether mm-hmm. or not it should be sang in <laughs> church. <laughs> and so and it's always a fun sort right, of brotherly right. heated right. discussion. We haven't had it we've probably only had it one or two times, but yeah. we thought about we thought about bringing
1: that up and he shot that one down pretty quick. Yeah, I right, might still right. sneak that in there though. Well, well I but I think a great discussion with Taylor is going to be a discussion based on um he he believes very strongly in the theology of worship, yeah, and the songs which I love, and and, it, and the songs ahead. you choose are as much an expression of your church as what you teach from yeah. the word. So yeah, uh, I think it'll be a great talk. Yeah, yeah I think so too. Um,
0: we I had one other thought, but what I want to do, I think, is actually move this to a part two because I think this this could be. A, a conversation in and of it. well this should be mm-hmm. a conversation in and of itself uh and just the the health issues that you've had in your life starting back from you know you had cancer what 14 Th- years ago now uh
1: yeah 2005
0: yeah so 16 years? and uh and I just but and then there's been some other things even more recently in the past mm-hmm. few years and you know that that for for you that for our family you know learned a lot through yeah. it all. Yeah, uh, And oh, I think yeah. it's very much shaped um, your life and and shaped our you know our family's life in some ways. And and so uh, to, ha- to have that discussion and what you've learned through that and how you've lived with it and I think needs to. I think we need more time on that than just the last five minutes of this podcast is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get at. So let's okay. Let's kind of do a part two, maybe, to this discussion, um, and, and this will give some some people hopefully something that they want to come back and listen to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you L- know the theme of this discussion is
1: <laughs> what the world needs is a little more of me. That's right. You know, That's right. yeah. No, it's it's amazing what what kind of perspective you gain in life when you know the, the what you think is um, you know. A, an un an immutable part of your life your your physical health you know you're not i'm gonna be fine there's nothing's gonna and then when you get knocked down man it it really shapes the way you think well especially when when most
0: people would would say well you know maybe when i'm old maybe 70 Mm -hmm. at at the earliest 80 you know i might start to deal with some health problems Mm -hmm. but i mean cancer hit you uh, how what how old were you i was 40 40 years old Mm -hmm. and so you know
1: that it just changes everything, yeah. It does, it really yeah. does. I'm, yeah, I keep saying this, I'm working on a book, I'm writing a book. Um, I, I was writing a book there for a while called I Love the Ministry, It's All the People I Can't Stand. Um, <laughs> but I put that on the shelf for a while. But I have been working, kind of outlined a, a book, um, called Living with a Clock, yeah. and and what it means when, when a doc says, Hey, this is how long you most people live with this disease. No. And, you know, it kind of throws a sense of purpose uh, into the way you live. And so, yeah, I'm not happy to talk about it. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Um, is there anything else pressing outside of that that you want to cover in sort of this quick blitz through your life? Uh, quick blitz
1: through my life. Um, the most, The most significant advice I could give to any man is to marry up. Yeah. Go way over your head. And uh um I did and and your mom and you and your brother both did. Yeah, very much uh, so. And uh, you know, I, I think we've all three been blessed with incredible wives and what that does for our family, you know. And so I think um that is the you talk about career choices and dealing with adversity and those kind of things. But if there's anything to put your who are, uh, to stake some of the most, um, uh, significant prayer and, and decision-making and, and joy, you know, for the future is that that person you're going to spend your life with. Yeah. Um, your, your mom has been an incredible help, help to me and, and, uh, support and kick in the seat a few times. And, yeah. and, um, so yeah,
0: couldn't, awesome. couldn't
1: go any further without that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's great.
1: Um, well, let's, uh, we
0: can kind of end this here. You know, I wanted this to m- more so just be a quick sort of snapshot as a quick look at your life, because mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, in everything we talk about our, our life circumstances have seemed to sort of right. pop up in and out. Right. And so I, I know we didn't go incredibly deep today. Um, uh, I just sort of wanted to give an overview to our listeners just, just so they, they have a, maybe a better understanding sure. of where you come from and. How your opinions were made and where your beliefs started, your faith started, that kind of stuff, and because knowing that, again, as we dive deeper into some of these conversations Mm -hmm. and days ahead, uh, deeper aspects of everything you've just shared and more are going to come up. You know, so I just kind of wanted to give a quick, quick uh, overview.
1: Yeah, well, it uh, it's 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 weird to be in the interviewee seat. Not sure. So they the call hot it seat.
0: The, hot yeah, seat. the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for for being open uh, to do this, and uh, we can reverse roles uh, some sometime in the day ahead. Yeah. Days ahead. Hey, we have a really next week. I want you to to make those of you listening. I want you to make sure you tune in next week. We have a, a really awesome guest. He just so happens to be probably my closest friend and uh a guy that I met in college he's coming in town and uh, we were we were going to do a, a Zoom call with him a Zoom interview with him and but he's actually going to be in town this weekend so we're going to try and capture this one in person and it'll be released next Thursday for y'all um but I am I'm just really excited about to hear from him mm. he uh yeah he's one of my closest friends he's he's from Kenya he's a worship leader he he just—they just released a song, right? Or yeah, a song his and- worship, his worship uh, team band. I don't, I'm not sure what collective, whatever they call themselves. Um, all of these. Why is it that in in the realm of worship music, <laughs> you can't just be a worship band? You have to. There's like, there's a billion different names that you could call yourself. Anyways, they—it's uh, called the Watch, and we'll talk a lot more about this next week because I want to dive deep into this process with them. And, um, but it's called The Watch Worship. Yeah, they have one song released called Heavens Coming Down. Uh, another song that actually David um, wrote in and led is on the album is coming out uh, the Friday after. So, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the day it was released, tomorrow, Friday, their second single has been released called I Will Wait, uh, which we're actually going to lead Sunday. Yeah. Which I'm excited about that at church. Hmm. Anyways, that's it. So tune back in next week. David Drogus is going to be with us. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Dad, again, thank you for being open hey, and honest with us today. And uh, we will we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you. See y'all. Bye.